It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking about the federal investigation into McMiniman's tipping practices, the new opportunity for our city to finally gain an MLB team, and the 90-day fentanyl state of emergency that was put into effect earlier this week. Joining me on this week's Friday News Roundup are comedian Julia Carell, who will be performing this weekend as part of the sold-out Geniuses of Comedy at Revolution Hall, and our very own executive producer, John Atariani. It's Friday, February 2nd. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Welcome, everyone, to the Friday News Roundup. Julia, John, thanks for being here. Hello, hello. Hi. Well, today is a day we break down some of the biggest local stories of the week with some of the best and brightest journalists and comedians in town. Julia, you're actually our very first comedian on the Roundup, uh, but you're not our first Julia. Our audio producer is also named Julia. Yes, I saw that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we jump into the news, I like to ask all our guests an opening question, just so everyone listening knows what they're getting themselves into. Are you guys ready? Mm -hmm. Yes. Cool. You know, John and I have been discussing putting together an episode about thrifting in Portland. So I'm curious if you guys are, are... comfortable sharing like you know one of your most cherished thrift funds yeah i can go first this is very much like i'm in my early to mid 20s and like getting goofy at the thrift store but at one point i got like an old grandma punch bowl (laughs) yeah you know like a really nice like fake crystal punch bowl with like glasses that matched and i spent probably 24 to 27, uh, making elaborate punches for parties and bringing them to my friends' houses. John, that's so cute. (laughs) I got it at a thrift store in Detroit. Uh, I got like a bunt cake mold and would freeze water in it. So it'd have like a circular ice cube in the punch bowl. It was, it was good times. This is the most darling Midwest thing I've ever heard. Oh, I love it. What about you, Julia? So I remember like in junior high, I bought this lime green, like very like alt sweater vest cardigan. And it reminded me very like Courtney Love. And my <laughs> mom used to throw away all my clothes, like from the thrift store. So she'd be like, it had a hole in it. I didn't know you wanted it. Like oh very passive. And I had this for forever. And then I got drunk one night at like 24, I had it since 13, and I lost it at the bar. And I think about the sweater often. Oh. Oh. <laughs> it haunts oh, me. It was beautiful. And I've never found anything that looked like it. Oh, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> this opening question was supposed to bring us joy, and I think I, I brought you down, and I'm sorry. It's You're okay. Like, I haven't thought about this in weeks. Thank you, Claudia. <laughs> I know, a dormant memory now. I'm going to talk about it in therapy. Yeah, I, it was actually, I found something um, close to the coast and I found this and I forget the name, which is terrible. This shows how much I know about this particular thing. It was like a keyboard. It just said Yamaha keyboard. And I was like, oh, this is cool. It was like 20 bucks. 
And then uh, one day I decided that I was going to go freelance and I started losing all my money because I was going freelance. This is many, many years ago. And I started to like, okay, I have to sell everything that I own in this keyboard. I didn't know this because I bought it for 20 bucks. Happened to be this like Detroit, you know, house heirloom keyboard. This is like what all house music was made on. And it was going for hundreds of dollars. And it like sustained me for a month. Oh that my gosh. $20 keyboard fed me for a month. Like that was crazy. <laughs> 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 Anyhow, well, before we uh, jump into the news, I have a couple of quick updates on some stories we talked about last week. John, uh, I don't know if you saw, but there's an update on Sophie Peel's homeowners getting destroyed by falling trees story. Did you see what happened? No, I didn't see this. Okay, so anyone who missed the headline, uh, the city was forcing homeowners whose houses were destroyed by falling trees during the storm to still apply for a retroactive permit that would allow the city to approve that a tree had indeed fallen on their property. It was freaking so dumb and it made no sense. But now it seems that they're just like, oh, JK, you don't have to do that. Oh, go oh, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Commissioner Dan Ryan made the announcement on Tuesday afternoon of this week. And he's like, you know what? If, uh, if a tree fell and broke your house, you don't have to pay. And we won't fine you if you don't do it. Because that's another thing is they were going to fine people $1,000 a day. Oh, my God. <laughs> Every day they didn't get this retro. It was dumb. And also, I just want to do a shout out to all reporters like Sophie Peel who wrote about it because you know that expedited their decision. No way that was going to be out. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the city was just going to be like, whoa, what? For sure. Yeah. Second update is uh, the 10 senators who participated in a Republican-led walkout during last year's legislative session will be barred from re-election beginning this year. So. <sighs> Thank God. That was going to be so goofy if, so annoying. if we had to deal with that. Julie, I know you're a comedian. You probably don't like, you know, check up on what's going on. Actually, um, I don't know if you guys knew this. My last job, I, I worked for this city for five years. <gasps> Which part? <laughs> I worked for the Water Bureau. <gasps> the infamous. Doing what? <laughs> I was a lead in the... Um, Call center customer service department handling like disputes. Oh, like payment or like people being like, there's brown water. Uh, payment, but we would direct okay. them if they had brown water. Oh my gosh. That's a, I used to work at the water department too many years ago when I first moved to Portland. I was a water analyst. I worked oh, in that okay. with all the nerds in the building. Yes, yes. Uh, no, I dealt with all the, the angry people, uh, which <laughs> rightfully so. Uh, yeah. I am a citizen as well and angry, so <laughs> I get it. Well, thank you so much, guys, for playing. Um, on to the news of the week. So, Julia, what headline are you talking through? Oh, uh, I, I, I'm i going first. <laughs> oh, were you hoping to uh, <laughs> to see how it worked first? Because one of us could go first. Well, you guys asked me to do this podcast, and I was like, yeah, and then, like, it was homework. And I was like, what? <laughs> I, I have to read a newspaper. It's a book report. I know. <laughs> All right, John, show how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm getting into some labor drama at McMenamin's. So this story comes from some reporting by Sophie Peel over at Willamette Week, which was interesting when I read about it and got more interesting the more I dug into it. So the U.S. Department of Labor sent a letter to like a bunch of old employees of McMenamin's saying that the company had like unlawfully 
required servers to give away a cut of their tips. And it said that there's potentially $800,000 in tips that this company uh, illegally took away from servers over the course of three years. Um, this happened between 2019 and 2022, primarily at two locations, uh, Edgefield, the big venue, and then McMenamin Cedar Hills in Beaverton. And the whole issue is the, like whether this is a violation of the U.S. Fair Labor Standards Act. Uh, and the whole idea there is that like an employer can't require an employee to give away their tips to an employer or a supervisor, according to these laws. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, like right there is sort of like an interesting, that sounds kind of screwed up. Um, but before I, I dig further into it, because I went pretty far in looking at this issue. What do you guys think? What's your initial take on it? I was going to say it's wrong. Um, but, you know, this is like the crazy thing about restaurants. I never know if there's actually anybody over 25 working them. But there is. But you know what I mean? Like, I do people know what the, the rules are? Mm. And I feel like also every restaurant I've ever worked in has been sued. Like, because <laughs> in, no, oh in California, they have those lawyers. They're not so much up here, but they have lawyers who will go after big companies mm -hmm. and they'll find some violation that they're not doing, whether it's, you know, breaks or something. And then they, they stand outside your work and then they get somebody to sign a piece of paper and then the whole company sues. Yeah. Oh. So I do think that restaurants are not on their game because they're all getting sued. Uh, <laughs> but it's messed up. You don't give your tips. The managers need to get paid more. Oh, totally. Yeah. No, I've worked in restaurants too. And you show up and they're like, well, we give uh, this much to the kitchen and we give this much to so-and-so. And, you know, when you're a new person, I've had this experience of being like, all right, I'm not going to make waves and like fight this rule that everybody is telling me that's how it works here. Right. And you just go ahead and do it. Yeah. If you didn't know, if you're not a regular listener, uh, you might not know that John used to work at McMinimins at the Kennedy <laughs> School. Yeah, yeah. And so I was curious, like, is this what went down when you were working? Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to bring that up because there was a weird structure of tipping people out. And there was also just like a crazy managerial structure there, you know? And I think that this is the issue is that there were like um, managers and then assistant managers. And there were actually assistant assistant managers at McMenamin's. What? Yeah, yeah. So this is this is like what it comes down to. Like, I definitely had managers I tipped oh. out. Uh, Juan, if you're out there listening, I hope you're doing great. You were awesome. <laughs> uh, but like, but okay. So in in this law, the Fair Labor Standards Act, it defines a manager in a couple ways. And one of the ways is who has the authority to like hire or fire other employees or like has like a 20% stake in the company, right? So there's no way that the managers at McMenamins have this much authority, you know? Like th th they're sort of just like working shifts. Right. Yeah, you're, you're sort of tipping out your manager, but he's sort of just like the senior person on the shift. He's not actually a manager in the classical he's sense. He's basically a waiter. He's basically a waiter, you know? Gotcha. Exactly. And like some people on Reddit were getting kind of fired up about this. Um, I, there was this one person on Reddit who wrote, the real, quote, crime here is fooling lower wage employees into thinking that their AM assistant manager or AAM title actually means what it would mean in any other corporate ladder, that the small pay bump you mentioned 
would be a horrible incentive to accept that title uh, that bars you from earning tips. But, you know, I feel like that's um, like in every job, like somebody will get like a title, like you'll get a title of producer. So yeah. like, you know, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. I think producer is a very honorable title, at least in the world of podcasting. <laughs> It is. Julie, don't you come for producers. Trust me, there's two of them right now. (laughs) They're eyeing both of us. (laughs) I'm just saying, I feel like that's like, it is true. I feel like a lot of people, my friends go on a lot of dates and I feel like we Google the the, the dates. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, I'm sorry, what is it? And we're like, these job qualifications aren't adding up. You're like, he's a dog walker. It's a dog walker. That is (laughs) what that is. Yes. Well, John, do you think it's going to stick if you're saying, hey, these aren't actual managers, they're actually waiters and waitresses? Like, is do you think they have a case then? Well, the thing that I'm confused about is that, like, the feds wrote that they're not going to file a lawsuit against the company. Then what's uh, the point? <laughs> they said, no further action will be taken to secure payment of additional money possibly owed to you, is what this letter says. So basically, it's just sort of putting this letter out there to all these ex-employees and, you know, giving them the go-ahead to take their own hand at filing off a lawsuit against McMenamins, you know? And Julia, to what you were saying, there are surely these, like, class action lawyers out there that are, like, Mm -hmm. you know, see a money bag here and are probably going to go after McMenamins. But yeah, there isn't any more censure coming from the federal government. (laughs) Yeah, and I wonder if that's, like, rules in Oregon that have, like, maybe companies are protected against class actions because in california when i i got so much money like two hundred dollars here 150 dollars here it was just like a different time my friend worked at amber crumby and she got 300 because they made her buy amber crumby jeans <laughs> <laughs> like to wear at the store i feel like a federal case you could still do a class action. I mean, I don't know if a state law could ban that. Or maybe I'm just in my 40s and they've all been sued. Like, there's no more. (laughs) (laughs) The glory days of the frivolous lawsuit are over. Oh, never. You know what I find interesting about this um, is that what the feds basically did was put, like, blood in the legal water. Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? And I'm just like, wait, who pissed off a federal agent? Like what McMinimums burned their burger? You know, like what? Because this after a while, you're, you know, McMinimums are like, what do we do? Like, why are you coming at us if you're not going to do anything? And there's like, we're saying there's no basis for this. There's somebody in Washington, D.C. who just hates Cajun tots. Who oh. just like... <laughs> They're like, they were too spicy. <laughs> what? Now, see, I, I think you guys are looking at it wrong. Okay. McMenamins is a powerhouse up here. They're like, you need to watch it. <laughs> they're like acquiring real estate everywhere. We don't even know what their holdings are. You know what I mean? Oh, so you think this is a weird way of like the feds trying to get them for something else? Who knows? They're like, they're like, we can't get them here, but we're going to get them there. <laughs> Just like Capone and his tax evasion. <laughs> they're going to bring big McMinimums down with this one altercation that's like not even a thing. Exactly. And I also want to know, I do perform at McMinimums often, so... Keep me out of it. Okay. <laughs> We're just, you're just going to send us a bunch of dubs where Julia's just like, they're great. <laughs> exactly. Well, John, 
uh, thank you so much for bringing us this story. I hope it didn't bring back any um, server memories. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, more headlines of the week. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Well, Julia, do you feel comfortable going up next? Yeah, I'll talk about the baseball. Yeah, you talk about the baseball. <laughs> and we can totally back you up. I've got some of the details, too. Okay. Yeah. Uh, good, because this article you sent me cuts off, and I'm not going to subscribe to the Oregonian. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I think my husband subscribes, because he's like a, a troll, always in the comment section of the Oregonian. Want to get to know. Um, let's talk about baseball. Oh, the Portland Diamond Project, you know, the great people. I don't know who they are, but I have a sticker from them. Um, they're trying to bring Major League Baseball to Rose City. I am a huge baseball person. I'm a pickles person. I'm a hops person. Also, I'm a concert person, and I want Beyonce mm. in Portland. <laughs> I think when people talk about Major League Baseball, they always are like, I don't like baseball, but they don't realize all the concerts we don't get in Portland, and I'm tired of driving to Seattle. And that's why I chose this. <laughs> there needs to be a change. I, I am so into <laughs> baseball coming to Portland. I'm kind of boggled by this move of putting it on this golf course. Mm-hmm. Because it's technically in Beaverton, right? I don't like, like that. The land is owned by Portland, but it it was annexed to Beaverton in 2003, right? And, you know, we've had years of looking into all of these different places where uh, you know, we could put this baseball diamond. Um, they're looking at Terminal 2 on the west side of the Willamette, which I'm actually glad that they didn't do, Claudia, because it would have screwed up our commute from St. John's yeah, totally yeah. selfishly. But I thought, like, the Lloyd Center was a great location, you know? No. It makes so much more sense to have it, like, central and, like, in close to downtown than putting it, like, way over, like, in Beaverton, The you thing know? is, the Lloyd Center. What's the thing? I'm still holding on. It's still there. I worked at the Lloyd Center. I love the Lloyd Center. How many jobs have you had? A lot. I worked at Nordstrom and they tricked me when I came up here. I worked in California and then when I called to transfer my job, they made Lloyd Center sound like paradise and then it was not. Oh, man. Yes, I I was a little sad that, you know, even though I didn't ever think it was going to happen, I was still sad when they're like, we're not going to do it at the Lloyd Center because that seemed really cool. Like, what? how is the ice rink going to 
fall into all this? Like, <laughs> where, where, where's the ice rink going? Where's the ice go? rink going? <laughs> you know, I was excited. Um, I'm not excited about any kind of commute to Beaverton to go see baseball. Yeah. Or Beyonce. Listen to what you said. I'm not excited about going to Beaverton for Beyonce. That is such like a port, spoiled Portlander. <laughs> like, <laughs> I will not drive 15 minutes instead of the three and a half hours to Seattle. Like, that <laughs> does not make sense. Look, I didn't say I wasn't going to do it. Am I excited to do it? No, I'm more excited to go to Seattle. Like, I no. Mean, just oh. think. Think about the bus routes you're going to have to take to get out there, you know? Otherwise, you could just, like, no, jump on the max no. and get right downtown. There's no direct route. They'll streamline it. Trust me. It's just like Dodger Stadium. The hops, you take the max, you get on their bus, and then they take you to the stadium. Oh. You guys. So there'll be a shuttle is what I'm hearing. There'll be a shuttle. Yeah. <sighs> I Big mean, picture. You know, like, like <laughs> if the baseball gods are saying, do you want baseball in Beaverton or no baseball? I'll say like, yes, please, baseball. Mm-hmm. But like, I have this fear of like the suburbanization of Portland, you know? Mm. Like if we start building these like major developments like way far out in like Beaverton, then we sort of lose the downtown core, which is part of what like, makes Portland oh. so great. It's here, baby. I know, I know. Like, but, but like, but like, check this out. Check this out. Like, you know, there was that huge development in Lake Oswego with like Lardo and St. Jack and like all these restaurants that went in a couple years ago. Like, half of those restaurants have closed, you know? Like the St. Jack and Lake Oswego closed. The Tasty and Sons output has closed. Like it isn't working in the same way. No, I get that. But do you feel this? And maybe I've been here 13 years now. You know, I'm in my 40s. I just feel old. (laughs) (laughs) What was your point? Was your point just like, I'm Julia. I'm in my 40s. I feel old. No, my point was like, (laughs) Portland was so much cooler 13 years ago. But now I do want convenience. Okay. Like, you know what I mean? You don't want to look for street parking at the ballpark. You want to have like a nice parking lot. (laughs) You want a Trader Joe's at the baseball diamond. Oh my God, you're making her cry, John, just seeing the future, her possibility. No, it's the urban future. <laughs> well, the, the only other thing I think is super interesting here, you know, the MLB is only adding two teams in this go around, right? And there's like a bunch of cities that are in the mix. Do you know who the other city that's going really hard on this is, Claudia? Is it in Oregon? No. Oh, then I don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> it's, it's Salt Lake. What? Yeah, Utah is going really you can't hard. can't even drink there. The day after this got announced, there was this big vote in the Utah House of Representatives passing a resolution to try and bring an MLB team to Salt no. Lake City. So, like, yeah, Utah's going hard, too. So our friends at CityCast Salt Lake City, we're in, like, a baseball grudge match now. I'm sorry. Can you even drink beer at a stadium in Salt Lake? I don't think so. I don't think you can. I'm not, I don't know the facts, but I'm going to say, just spread that around. <laughs> if MLB goes to Salt Lake, you can't even drink beer there. What's a baseball game without a beer? You can't even have hot dogs. Uh, that's what I hear. There's no hot dogs. There's no beers. Yeah. Um, isn't it against Mormon law to eat peanuts, too? I feel mm-hmm. like that's not a thing. You can't do that over there. So I love this spirit. <laughs> I love it. I love how you're, yes. 
baseball to Portland. <laughs> well, Julia, thank you so much for bringing us half of this story. Thank you for reading half of the article. I'm sorry <laughs> that we gave you a subscribe only article, um, but you did a great job thank with the you. one paragraph that you read. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, my story this week is how uh, on Tuesday, Governor Tina Kotek, along with our mayor, Ted Wheeler, and Multnomah County Chair, Jessica Veda-Peterson, declared a 90-day fentanyl state of emergency for Central City, Portland. And if you didn't know what Central City is, because I keep hearing it, and I thought I did, and I guess I didn't, it's a designated area that spans Goose Hollow in Southwest Portland all the way to Lloyd District in Northeast. I also want to shout out Shane Dixon-Kavanaugh from The Oregonian and Alex Zielinski from OPB. They wrote the articles I relied on the most to figure out what was going on. Uh, so you rem you might remember you guys, this uh, fentanyl state of emergency was one of the top suggestions that came out last month from the Central City Task Force that Governor Kotek led with a bunch of local city and state leaders. So this idea was floated a couple of months ago, but now that it's here, um, I feel like I can finally ask, like, what the fuck is a 90-day fentanyl state of emergency? So what I so that's what I was like reading. I was like, okay, what does this mean? And from what I could gather, it's that it's similar to how the city and state and county synchronizes their response to emergency events like severe weather or the pandemic. And the major change on how we are now responding lays in the command structure and access to resources. So for the next two months, a lot of bureaucratic red tape is getting slashed. So these additional resources like money and labor force get poured directly into Portland's central city or downtown areas. And that means like more police presence from both city and state forces, along with more services from the county. Ultimately, their goal is to expand access to like addiction treatment and social services and finally start cracking down on illegal activity like selling drugs, which was previously just happening like right in the light of day. Um, and I feel like we have reason to feel optimistic, but the looming skepticism is how we are connecting people to services if treatment beds and drug sobering facilities remain in short supply. And also, they don't seem to have any goals to measure success. Like as of today, there aren't any number targets or metrics that will help identify if this plan is even working, but it does appear they are looking uh, into doing that. So that's great. And I have a feeling that the immediate goal is just to make it look like it's working. You know what I mean? Like you go downtown and, the, and it just feels less dangerous. I am just happy that this also means when there's like a state of emergency, it means every day the city, the county, and the state are coming together every day to talk about this. And I feel like, if anything, that's a win. Yeah. What do you guys think about this? I'm so frustrated with this. So, you know, I also have done a ton of reading and can't figure out exactly what this means. There's no more resources involved. Uh, they're talking about a command center in a city building where they're going to be coordinating more. But like, there isn't any information on, on what they're actually going to be doing. You know, when we look at disaster responses for things like wildfires or the, even the pandemic, like the declarations of emergency by the governor actually were connected to federal resources, right? When you declare a state of emergency in those situations, there are like pools of money from FEMA and things that you can pull from. I'm not saying that that isn't happening in this case, but I have seen no mention of it from any 
journalists. And I know that the people who are reporting on this are asking the same question. So like, I just can't see how this is going to change anything. And the governor official says they they hope the new structure can be sustained beyond the 90-day time frame, mm-hmm. which also means that there isn't any plan for follow-through. Well, it's so far they have 90 days of pure concentrated attention to this issue. And like I said, every day our state and city and county leaders will be meeting about this effort. It is in a sense, just alone that it is a coordinated plan of action. What that plan of action is, John, is what we're discussing, like what we're trying to figure out. <laughs> there but isn't a plan. They're meeting about how they're going to have a plan of action. And look, I'm still just like, it's happening. At least they're like thinking about it rather than everyone kicking that ball to each other. Like, no, the county's got to open up more services. No, the city's got to like provide more security. No, the state's got to, you know, loosen up some more funding for like, it's at least they're all in the same room. And I have faith they're going to figure something out. I am always skeptical being a former bureaucrat because you never know who's in those meetings. Like there's the people who have to implement what's going on and they don't have a say. And there's a lot of meetings and a lot of time wasted that sometimes the higher ups are so far removed from actually what's going on there. That that was always every struggle I had and why I eventually just wanted to leave, like even bringing it down to the water bureau where it's like people having to pay the water back. There was nothing with the people who are actually dealing with the public and management. There was fighting there. Mm hmm before it even got to the streets. You know what I mean? And so this is so hard, but something needs to be done. Whatever it is, we need to have action to repair that, to be like, okay, this is sort of working or this is not working. I I do believe that is because Portland's hurting. You know, we need to help people. Let me give you some numbers there. So according to Multnomah County, The number of overdose fatalities involving fentanyl increased 533% between 2018 and 2022 in our county. So, -hmm. yes, something has got to happen, even if it means a lot of like elephant deli sandwiches are getting wasted every morning meeting. You know, it still needs to happen. These people need to get together in a room and coordinate efforts. It just needs to happen. Yeah. The this cynical part of me just like can't help but notice that this is happening right on the eve of us starting the legislative session. You know, mm-hmm. we're about to start a short session next week when we're going to be getting into what's going on with Measure 110. And like, I'm not saying that like these two things are connected, but I can't help but see the convenience of this happening right before we're looking at major changes to, you know, the laws that have sort of decriminalized uh, drug use. You know what, though? I'm all for the ban of public use of fentanyl and other illicit substances. I don't understand how that's helping, you know, those who are who are addicted to these substances um, feel any more empowered to seek treatment. You can't drink alcohol in, you know, like in the park. Why are you able to smoke fentanyl? That doesn't add up. So to me, I feel like that one part of Measure 110 always just, it never sat right with me. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree. Like, none of this is me saying that there isn't a problem. There's a huge problem that, like, absolutely needs to be addressed. I'm just, I'm just super skeptical of, like, the 90-day, the 90-day the brand, you know. Um, Claudia, we did a 90-day reset in the Central East Side in 2023. We did a 90-day reset for Old Town in 2022. But was the state involved? 
I mean, no. no was but, the like, county involved? No, this is different. And here's the deal. <laughs> the other reason that this might be interesting, because I, I love that you're just like, the short session, I'm like, actually, no, this is good. They're actually coordinating. They're going to figure this out. Like, what might happen is these people in this coordinated effort might be like, actually, if Measure 110 was just tweaked this way, then we're, we'd be able to do this thing. And so, like, you know what? I'm ready for something to happen, because right now, nothing happening is the worst. It's the worst. Yeah. What do you think, Julia? I you're like bring the comedian on to talk about the fentanyl <laughs> crisis. And hey, what's and, funny about fentanyl, Julia? No, Wrong. No, I know. There's just a lot. It's very hard. Even with like the decriminalization of drugs is very hard because there's also levels of like, yes, you can say fentanyl's bad, but then even that is like the users. So it's like there's another form of like privilege Portland gets to do their drugs, but fentanyl's everywhere. I I was a child of uh, like addicts. I am five months sober myself mm-hmm. in even of alcohol that was took control of my life. I think Portland celebrates in these things. And uh, there's a lot of addiction and pain on all levels in the city. And we don't talk about it. Like drinking's everywhere in the city. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why it took me very long to get uh, clean and sober myself. And so I guess I'm, I don't mean I don't believe in the decriminalizations because I don't think in like jail time, Mm -hmm. but also the lawless land of everybody doing drugs. Because I don't know. Did you even know there was like at one point in the pandemic, there was a drugstore that people were going to? Yeah. Are you talking about downtown, the open air? market no i'm talking about the southeast on pal there was like a house like there was like an office building where you could just go buy drugs what no (laughs) it was just people buying drugs uh in an office somebody came up to me and was like you do drugs and i was like do i uh i guess i do i i guess i do mushrooms and uh, you know what i mean it was the pandemic and then uh i knew a bunch of people who would go shopping at the store and it's not there anymore but they said you would walk in and they would hand you a menu, like a laminated menu. What was on the menu? Like acid, like what uh, drugs? Holy, John, I've not, did not hear any. You know what I was doing in the pandemic? I was washing my hands. Oh my God, I didn't know about any of this. There's a, a whole world of Portland out there, you guys. Well, you know what though? <laughs> it checks that it's in Southeast. Because I never know what's going on in Southeast, I'll tell you that much. I'm from North Portland, and so I'm just like, well, I'm sorry, is it in Southeast? Yeah, that's why I've not heard of it. And I never go to North Portland. Isn't that weird how that happens? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And, like, I live on this rare street that's filled with, and excuse me, I don't want to, like, I live on a street of Karens. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, like, my street is, like, in the safe guard like our neighbors got robbed and they were on the news the next day do you live in selwood no i live in Tabor, but i just live in this one street that's patrolled by karen's good for and, you <laughs> and yeah so i feel like i'm i i don't see it then but my friend lives off a of pal and she sees it constantly and yeah. so it's just a different world um and also 
it's weird too, because I feel like the older I get, I feel like sometimes I do sound like a moderate because I am, um, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it's just, it's safety. Like when I moved here, like, like I said, 13 years ago, I felt like as a woman, I could walk home at 3 a.m. I don't know. I, I just want everyone to be helped. I do think there's fentanyl's awful. It must mm-hmm. be so addictive and delicious that that's why they can't stop. There needs to be resources. Yeah, I, I mean, in you know, to sort of play the other side, I will say, you know, we had uh, Dr. Andy Mendenhall of uh, uh, Central City Concern on earlier this week, right? And like he, in the, I believe it was the Oregonian article, he was said that he's fully in support of the declaration of an emergency. You know, the people who are working on the front lines are supporting this. I yeah. do, yeah, I totally agree. Like something needs to be done, even if I'm like skeptical of the politics of it. Yeah, because have you guys been to San Francisco recently? I just don't want Portland just to become a city of being like, carry Narcan and you deal with it yourself. Like, that's what I felt like a lot of the billboards were. Like, it it made me sad. I just didn't want Portland to get there. I felt like, yeah, let's do something. I can see that. That just, that's not cool. Um, Hey, man, knock it off. That's what I, (laughs) knock it off. Say your new billboard. Yeah, drug addicts, knock it off. Hey, uh, you know, capitalism, knock it off. Housing prices. You like that? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Great. We, we solved everything. I am just so you know, Julia, this whole time that you've been talking, I'm just like, I'm sorry, there was a drug market in Southeast. I want to know what it was called. I want to know what these menus look like. If anyone listening is like, oh, yeah, I remember that drug market. Please hit us up. Like, what is going on here? I want to yeah. know all about this. If you have pictures, please send them over. I want to know what happened. That's all. It's actually mm. the future, but <laughs> <laughs> but a dystopian, yeah. Uh, yeah. really fucked up one. Well, Julia, John, thank you so much for joining me on this Friday News Roundup. Julia, you left us with a lot to think about. Like, I've never just felt this unsettled after a roundup. I'm just like, there was a drug market. <laughs> I'm still just there. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? I guess we really do need a 90-day fentanyl state of emergency. I'm sorry. I feel like we just talked ourselves into, yeah, this is what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Julia. Thanks uh, again for being our first comedian on the show. Yeah. Would you recommend this for other comedians? Was this too much homework? No, I think it's fine. I think, yeah, comedians will do anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thank you so much for listening. Our executive producer is John Atariani. Our producers this week were Julia Fiaioni and Lizzie Goldsmith. Our newsletter editors were Rachel Monahan and Adrian Gonzalez. Our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music by Jenny Conley and Stephen Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound and All the Kimonos. We'll be back Monday morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. Slim's.